today we have Brennan and Kathy and Tony and Jody and actually live living and breathing we have Hank. We also have Hank uh, who pre-recorded a little bit, um, but uh, he's here also. It's I'm I'm a shiver. Welcome, Hank. I have never been more excited to be in a tiny studio with Tony in my entire life. Okay, <laughs> awesome. And we can tell by your voice actually how excited you are. I'm very Thanks, Hank. Yeah, so we, as well. we have a really awesome show lined up for you. Um, we are going to talk about uh, some breaking toy news first. Uh, then we're going to go into some bat news, some stuff about the Caped Crusader himself. And then I want to talk about um, Batman Hush, the uh, animated cartoon, which uh, we wanted to talk about last week but didn't have time. And then we are going to talk about, well, we're going to have Hank and Craig talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and then we're going to have Kathy and Tony fill us in on some Star Trek stuff. So it, there's a lot going on in the next 30 minutes for sure. So um, Brennan, kick us off. What is happening in toy news? All right. So usually I don't have breaking toy news, but being that this is breaking as seven hours ago, I really <laughs> want to bring this along. Um, so Elvira, the Mistress of the Dark, is having an original Funko Pop figure come out. Um, and she's had other ones before, uh, but this one's different. So this is going to be in Hot Topic stores in, in September, sorry. And the difference is it's a Funko character with Elvira's head, but with her body lying on the red satin couch. Ooh. So the famous sort of pinup Elvira picture, it is a Funko Pop character of that. So it's really neat. I, I don't really have any desire to buy any of these, but I'm a huge Elvira fan. And when I saw this, I'm like, I might actually have to buy one. So you might have to usually like Elvira toys and statues tend to be really expensive. Mm -hmm. so. I, nothing about that. Was, I was on I was on the Twitter, as mm. the kids say, the Twitter, I'm pretty sure. And this has popped up in my feed because it's actually one of the few celebrities I follow. So there you go. Breaking news. Elvira must be getting a little older now. She's been out since the uh, the early '40s, if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken. And and somehow she looks the same. She looks the younger. Same. I'm not sure how that works. So. Well, she's she mistress does, of the night. She does That's look right. good all the time. Without yeah, a for doubt. sure. Cool. Okay, so breaking news. Put that on your to-do list for September. All right, and then yeah, let's talk bats. What do you got on the Batman front? Let's talk Batman. So I finished a book uh, this summer called The Caped Crusade: Batman and the Rise of Nerd Culture by Glenn Weldon. Uh, Glenn Weldon does some work with uh, NPR radio in the States, and he's like a, a pop art critic and that kind of thing. Um, and it's a really interesting book where he follows the history of Batman and the creative force behind Batman and how Batman has helped not only shape our culture, but how he has developed depending on how pop culture has developed at the same time. Um, it's a really interesting combination. Um, the nice thing is, um, as a Batman fan, as I read the book, timeline-wise, it's a really good summary, refreshing course without getting too heady or getting too uh, uh, textbook sounding, right? Um, but then again, how he ties in this idea of pop culture. So going from having the original first Batman zines, when that was a thing, and then how um, when the 60s Adam West show came out, a lot of these people were like, this isn't the real Batman. And, but how that changed TV and how it had a change for TV. And then how fast forward many years later, um, the difference between time of Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, is that the right order? I think so. Yeah. Um, 
that when Batman Forever came out, less than 30% of the American population was on the internet. By the time Batman and Robin came out, a little less than 70% of the population Ooh. was on the internet. And he basically says part of the reason Batman and Robin tanked so bad was because the fans were so mad about <laughs> Batman Forever that they front-loaded the assault on it before it even came out. And then you fast forward to Christopher Nolan, and when they had um, uh, the, the Dark Knight movie, they, they knew people were going to leak things and fans were trying to get scripts and things. <clears throat> so they leaned into it. They had this whole Harvey Dent campaign, and they would have these campaign trucks show up, you know, uh, Dent for mayor and, and these type of things, and they started doing scavenger hunts with clues in them so the hardcore fans could figure out what they were allowed to leak because it was being leaked by the studio. Right? And how marketing changed as uh, press changed and how the way we communicated changed and things. So um, it's a really fascinating look just on, on, on Batman and the character and, and how our society has been reflected through him and how he's changed through society. So if you're at all a Batman fan or if even you're a, a pop culture fan, you should definitely check it out. It's a good read. Yeah. The, the thing that surprised me there is I didn't know the internet started so early. I thought it started in about 2005. <laughs> so it, it may I, have that's, been out that's a hot minute that before that. Surprises you know? me, yeah. I mean, just because you weren't on it doesn't mean it wasn't there. But. Very surprised by that. But <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, that's a super good recommend. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I have a recommend for other Batman fans. So um, one of my favorite um, graphic novels of Batman is Hush. I mean, it's definitely top three. I love Killing Joke, and I love Long Halloween, and I love Hush. And if you want to read something that Batman that it can stand alone, you don't have to have read anything before. You don't have to have read anything after. You don't have to be super familiar with like just what's going on the ongoing. Um, this has always been a really good book. And they have just turned this into an animated feature. And DC does a great job of their animated. Um, I mean, Marvel kind of has the foothold on like the live action interpretations of their heroes. With the exception, I would say, of the, the Batman stuff, like DC <laughs> hasn't got a clue. Um, they really succeed in animation though and I was really pleased with their interpretation of Batman Hush now a lot goes on in this book and of course they're gonna have to pare it down because there's no way that you're gonna fit that into like you know 80 or 90 minute cartoon so they did definitely change some stuff um, which some fans won't like um, they also changed a couple of characters like it's very minor like in, in the be in the beginning of the story um, you've got Killer Croc doing some thuggy stuff and in the cartoon, they changed it to Bane, I guess, because Bane is maybe a more recognizable villain for, for more people. So, it, it, But really, it's inconsequential. Um, the thing for me that I was a little disappointed in that they, that they did leave out, and it is one of my favorite things about the book, is um, there's this um, different style of artwork that happens when like Bruce is flashing back to his childhood and his um, interaction with his friend Thomas who's now become this great doctor and like in present day doc he has to like save him he almost dies so he he saves him and so he's you know reflecting on his childhood and, and their whole relationship and the, their parents relationship and the art is awesome and that is like completely gone. There's like th the fact that he is saved by his friend and that the later there is a tie-in with the doctor that is really, really relevant, but they, they just axed all of that backstory, which, you know, you, you can't 
include everything. And I understand the, the directorial um, position that they took to, to get rid of that. Um, but I was kind of disappointed because I really, really like that part of it. Um, it. It's what makes it great. So the the book itself, though, I, I've you know I, I've not seen I've not seen the cartoon yet. But the book itself was was fabulous in the sense it had like uh, characters that you knew. And they were brought into light in different ways. And you had the protagonist was somebody you'd never met before or seen before, uh, who, you know, in the end turns out to be this, you know, fabulous character that they used a few times after. Um, but the thing about it was the art. I think the art was what really brought Hush uh, into play as far as, like, uh, when the comics first came out. It was crazy. Jim Lee art, um, and he's always been one of my favorite, but it's just above and beyond as to what, you know, you can really see in comics. Yeah, it, it, Jim Lee is an, an idol for a reason. He's amazing, and Hush is awesome because of it. And it doesn't ever cheap out. The, the backgrounds are just as beautiful as, like, anything that's in the foreground. All the characters are really, like, well-representative. And, and if you're a, a fan of the, like, the Bat Ladies, um, this has a lot of it. So you, you do get a lot of Catwoman in here. They have, like, an actual relationship, which is really, really cool. You get to see Poison Ivy. Harley has a little bit in there too so um it the the characters that are interesting there's a whole pantheon that's included in the book and they do include some of them in this new cartoon but it's yeah i'm really pleased with it because the last couple of offerings from the dc animated have been like good but not great and i think this this takes us back to like some of the awesome stuff that they have been putting out but like you were saying though you don't see that in the movies they, they don't kind of have that same spirit that they have in the cartoons in the movies they don't and like all they need to do is just like take the darn cartoon and use that as your storyboard and then just cast people and do exactly what the cartoon people are doing like just film that and <laughs> you would have the, a winner that'd be the best movie ever hush the movie the same way it was written and yeah it would just be an, an incredible movie instead we have Superman with a beard I think is the last one I saw <laughs> it's interesting though that DC was the original movie company they have the successful movies with the original Superman and the Tim Burton Batman they had to sort of yeah. set the bar and then Marvel took over and yeah. DC's struggling yeah. Marvel the universe and they shouldn't just let directors make good movies Marvel did not start off good though you can go back and watch like the, the Dolph Lundgren Punisher movie and you can you know there, there was a lot of dogs that they oh, put out you be knocking my dog okay <laughs> that was uh, the Punisher was my favorite comic and to see the Punisher on the screen come on he's a beautiful man he didn't have like the actual skull on his chest it was almost like they were they were they were ashamed that it was a comic character when they made that movie it was like they were ashamed it was actually you know came from the comics okay you're right they ruined that they also ruined ghost rider the, the very first ghost rider and they don't yeah there was there was a lot of uh duds at the beginning and then they got it right with this uh you know what, what do they call that the first generation or the first phase one. Phase, phase, one. phase one whenever that started back in 2000 yeah, yeah. Anyway, well, I, th- this movie is great, and there are some good and some not so good comic book interpretations over the years. So we'll leave it there for the time being. Um, I'm going to turn things over to Craig and Hank, who were talking about an awesome movie that's just come out, and that is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood.
Hey everybody, how's it going? It's uh, Craig Sullivan, the Movie Geek, and my buddy Hank Cruz. Uh, if you want to follow us on the social media, it's at Craig Sullivan and at Hank and Kelso. And today we are going to talk about a movie we just saw and we both really loved, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Once Upon a Time. A fading movie star and his stunt double try to figure out their place in Hollywood, the Hollywood that's being taken away from them. By who? The hippies. <laughs> the this hip- feels like you and me. <laughs> the hippies are coming. Yes, and at the end, uh, a lot of the story of what's going on was rewritten, uh, so it's not historical. Of course, it's not factual. It is awesome. Yeah. And uh, a couple dudes saved the day. Uh, now, everybody trusts you, Craig, with everything to do with movies, because you're the expert. Jeez, that's, that's high pressure. So out of Quentin Tarantino films, number one, where does this one rank? Uh, I think it's probably somewhere in the in. Uh, it's funny because I was talking about this with somebody the other day, and we sort of ranked them in tiers. There's tier one, tier two, and tier three, and I would say this is in tier two probably for me. Maybe leaning towards tier one, but tier one is really just like Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, and then tier two is like I think it was like Inglorious Bastards. Uh, this one uh, maybe Death Proof was in there, which I know some people might argue with, and then tier three is like Hateful Django, Eight, Hateful Eight, basically. And I, I might have missed something in there, but that's that's I, that's I gave the this movie a ninety out of a hundred. You gave it a four point five yeah. out of five. Yeah, so that's. Uh, it's pretty good. I enjoyed the heck out of it. So I, I enjoyed it as well. I'd actually rank it as probably my third favorite Tarantino movie. Right. Uh, like, what? And I definitely, I mean, maybe my ranking will even go up once I get a chance to see it again. And a lot of talk uh, on the old internets right now about Oscars. Can you see it being nominated for an Oscar and any of the actors that are in there? Uh, definitely. I mean, I think right now, especially, it's a movie that I think the Academy could get behind because it's not a superhero movie, but it's also one that everyone. Well, maybe not everyone, but that a lot of people will see compared to a lot of the other Oscar fare we have where it's funny because I do a lot of mainstream radio and stuff, too. And all the movies that I'm talking about in the Oscars every year, everyone's like, I've never I've heard never of those seen movies. That yeah. movie. They don't know what the the winner are, is. They haven't seen the winner until after it wins and then they feel like they have to see it. But uh, in a case like this, I mean, uh, this movie did amazing box office for a movie like it. It was tracked to do 30 million opening weekend and it did 40 easily. Oh, yeah. So uh, and I think that's just going to. Like, all this great word of mouth is going to pick up steam. I was even thinking of going to see it again, because there's a lot going on there. Spoiler alert, the reason why it made all the money, Brad Pitt took his shirt off. Yeah. On a roof. And he's almost 60, and he still looks great. Oh, wow. Uh, but I feel bad about myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that Brad Pitt. Okay, let's get into the movie. So... Um, what are your overall thoughts and uh, why should people go to this movie? So my overall thoughts, uh, I got to backtrack a little bit. So uh, like as of late, and we mentioned Django and Hateful Eight especially, I feel like Quentin has been getting more and more self-indulgent uh, with his own ideas. And, and sometimes like in a case like Inglorious Bastards, that movie's really uneven to me, in the se- even though I like it, but it's uneven in the sense that there's a lot of scenes in there that are they just drive wildly off the path into the bush and it's like 15 20 minutes of screen time to just establish something small uh and some of those scenes are some of the best scenes in the movie like the scene where they're in that like kind of underground tavern and playing the card game Mm -hmm. on their heads that's an amazing scene but it also like kills the pace of that movie uh and so i feel like his subsequent movies got worse and worse for this like hateful eight there's a good movie in there somewhere uh Kill Bill, even. I, don't get me wrong, I like that movie, but it's 
it's one good movie. It's like it's a it's like I always think about it uh, like Use Your Illusions, Guns and Roses. It's yeah. two albums. <laughs> One good album. One really yeah. good so album. So two good, two yeah. movies, one good movie in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so this one has some of those hallmarks, and even what I call some sloppiness in certain things, like things are introduced that they never follow up on, or uh, this isn't giving anything away, but there's like a, a, a whole chunk of the movie where they go do something. I won't even say what it is. And it feels like a bunch of it's ended up on the editing room floor, and a narrator suddenly introduced like two hours into the movie that didn't exist before. And sometimes you can go, hey, that's Quentin. Like, he He's stylish like that. He can do whatever he wants. He's crazy. Uh, sometimes it feels kind of sloppy. But all that said, I will say that whole problem feels woven in a lot more maturely uh, in this movie. And and, and it's a, a very much mature, a more mature movie. Sure, it's about crime and the Manson family and stuff, but it's not a pulpy Quentin Tarantino, cooler-than-thou crime film. It's like it's a movie about friendship, about career, about the changing times, about people, about life. It's like it's – I would say it's his most – you know, it's still a fun, goofy Quentin Tarantino movie, but it's his most mature, like the the the, the friendship between Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, even the the tragicness of uh, Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate, kind of wandering through the movie towards her death. I mean, Sharon Tate was murdered by the mm-hmm. Manson family. So what? Well, there you go. So, but the, I mean, she they were criticized for like not having enough lines for her and stuff like that. You know, and that it's all about the dudes and and. But she, I found her scenes to be like better because of that she was wonderful in it with body language and it was made it all the sadder that you know what's kind of coming you knew what and and the whole i guess three quarters of the movie was leading up to um you know uh the point where she was going to be killed but it was that suspense but the movie really is not about her Right. So to have, and yes, everybody was going on. Anyway, I read the internet. The movie's sexist. The movie's this. Sharon Tate was, yeah, but it's the movie isn't about her. No, it's about the two men. And of course, in the end, she's like, the B plot. Yeah, like oh, so now in the end, these two dudes are going to save the day. It's all about the men. Well, it's an ode to Hollywood of the past. Yeah. So it's exactly the way that it would have been in Hollywood in the past. Yeah. I found too that especially for a guy like Tarantino who's got some real macho movies out there and the time you're talking about the late 60s there uh, in, in Hollywood and, and, and like DiCap- DiCaprio's almost this like Frank Sinatra character with his pompadour and everything. Uh, it It was like their friendship was so not that like macho stereotype. It was like real and warm and and everything that like that machismo from that time it wasn't. Mm-hmm. I, I I thought um, oh the other thing that I wanted to mention is the trailer for the movie. So watching the trailer, I thought it was going to be a completely different movie. Right. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Charles Manson's going to be in there. There's going to be a lot of crazy stuff. And in the end, uh, Manson was in there for what, one, one scene? One scene, like I think, 16 yeah. seconds or something? Yeah. But weird that the same actor is playing uh, Charles Manson in the new uh, Netflix season two of Mindhunters. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't so even know that. He, he has more screen time in that one. He's got yeah, more I screen bet, time. Yeah. This is the same guy. Like, huh, I didn't but, even know that. And like lots of the scenes were take, like near the beginning of the movie. So you had not, like all of it was fresh. And I was I was blown away by the end. But the first 20 minutes, it took me a lot to get into because it was slow and a little, nothing was really going on. You're like, what's happening here? Because I'm waiting for Charlie to jump out and right. start murdering everybody. And uh, after the 20 minutes, I was invested in that. I, uh, well, we talked beforehand. I could have sat there for another hour. Yeah, totally. I agree. And you're right. Like it's like I said, it's not the pulpy, violent thing. There's obviously quite excessive violence at the end uh, when when the Manson family comes to play. Uh, and there's another scene where uh, Brad Pitt fights Bruce Lee, basically. But that's really 
I think uh, maybe some minor violence at the Spawn Ranch there, but that, like, there's not really but in a two and a half hour movie. There's not really that much violence yeah. in it. Like violence, when, it when it comes, well, it's harsh. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. harsh. <laughs> but one of the things you taught me on Punch uh, TV about they're showing something near the beginning of the movie, and you're like, well, okay, they planted it, but like, when's the payoff going to be? Yeah, there was something he used at the end that they showed at the beginning. I'm like, oh, oh right. there it is. Yeah, yeah, that, that was, way, a, that was yeah. a great payoff. Yeah, there one, was yeah. a very large payoff. Yeah, got hot. Yeah, got hot. Um, what are your other thoughts about the movie? Uh, well, I think, like I said, all the acting was great. Oh, you know what we should talk about is the production design of this film. Oh. So, like, it obviously recreates the Hollywood in around 69. Uh, it looks amazing. It's like, I just, there were scenes where he would get in a car, somebody would get in a car and drive somewhere, and not only do you get to see all that classic Hollywood, the all those landmark buildings and some of those, like, even the El, the El Coyote restaurant and things like that, uh, but... Like even just on the street, there would be a bunch of other cars of the same era, and it, like, and I was like, well, how much of this is practical and how much is CGI? I, like, I don't even know. Did they block off a whole section of freeway and get a bunch of '60s cars, or is some of this CGI? But either way, it was like it just looked amazing, and it was funny. I heard this interview with Tarantino talking about the uh, the the driving down, the driving around LA, and he was a little kid driving around with his stepdad. And that was his view of things, right? Like looking out the back seat window at the buildings going mm-hmm. by. And that's very much like captured in that and really makes it feel like you're, you're immersed in that time. And uh, the, when you don't even see some of the stuff that they mentioned, even the, uh, the adult movie theater uh, right. near the in the back where they're having a big pre- pre- preview or a premiere for the movie. And it's like, they do that for these movies? Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, but it, beautiful to look at. Um, a lot of the um, big name uh, other actors that were in it, they also only had like a few minutes of screen time. Yeah, for sure. Well, like um, Al Pacino's got like two, two or three scenes that are really short. Even yeah, Dakota Fanning was uh, right. Oh, she's good in yeah. it too. Yeah, Lena Dunham's character yeah. was uh, a few minutes. I don't, don't know how I feel about that one, but yeah. But overall, I thought great casting and great that all of these actors could come in knowing that they're going to be in for a few minutes and yeah. then just show up and do it, so they're not too. Uh, too picky about that yeah for oh. sure so i think we uh we got to throw back here but uh yeah i think both of us are saying we recommend the heck out of this movie gotta go one of the best tarantino movies uh, i've seen there you go so uh once upon a time in hollywood uh hank and craig are giving it a well we're gonna steal from siskel and ebert and give it a couple big thumbs up yep. back to you all right thanks fellas um, yeah, I saw this movie as well, and I really loved it. I think, uh, Brennan, you saw it too, right? What I did you think? I it twice, actually, um, and I, I liked it better the second. I liked it the first time a lot, um, but the second time that I saw it, when I had a better idea of what the tone was like and the pacing, I actually enjoyed it even better the second time. So yeah. it's, it's great. I got a nice love letter to Hollywood and old Hollywood and maybe how things could have been if, if this terrible tragedy hadn't happened. Yeah, I think despite, you know, the plot and everything, you can just watch it as a almost travel log of the mm-hmm. time. It's, it's production value is really, really high. Now I asked uh, Craig, but for you guys, where does it rank in Tarantino movies? Near the top? Right now, for me it is. Yeah, probably my number four possibly. Yeah, that's pr- it's about in the middle. It's yeah. not it's no Jackie Brown, but it's uh, it's better than Inglorious Bastards. Okay, let's now turn things over to Star Trek. (laughs) So earlier this week, uh, Tony and I are going on vacation next week, and I was looking up things for us to do on our way. Uh, One thing that's kind of been on our list of things to do on vacation was to see the Star Trek Museum, Trek Cetra, it's called. Um, It 
used to be in Vulcan, which is kind of out of the way, Vulcan, Alberta, and they moved it um, in the fall of 2016 to Drumheller. Why did they uh, have to move it? Was it just not doing very well because it was out in the middle of nowhere or what? Kind of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was doing okay, but they thought they could get more visitors out of Drumheller. Yeah, with the With the, with the dinosaurs, dinosaurs yeah. and whatnot. How did yeah. that work out for them? Not so good. No, not so good. Didn't go very far with that Drumheller thing? No, it was there a year and a half, um, and they closed it. Uh, and oh. you know what? You always hear about these things when you want to go. Then yeah. Then you're like, oh, it's done. Yeah. 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 And then, yeah. I, I heard that it closed, and I thought, well, maybe it moved back to Vulcan, but no. Um, they've actually got liveauctioneers.com, and they're going to auction off the items that are in there. Ooh, so right now, all the things that are actually that they had are all being auctioned off. Well, that's even better, because we've got nothing but money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can buy all these things. What kind of things are they auctioning off? Um, they've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on collecting things from Star Trek, but not only Star Trek, like they have um, stuff from old Westerns. They have a Superman cape, a oh. bunch of different old movie things. Yeah. 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 Like, wait, hold on. Hold this on, isn't just Star second. Trek. They also have a beard that I'm not sure where the beard came from, but the story of the beard is that um, it's kind of a Henry Cavill type story. So the guy was filming a movie he had a beard in the movie. He went away to do something else. So he came back and they ha had to make a fake beard for him. And somebody's bought the beard. And somebody's and bought can, the beard. And you can rebuy re <laughs> this beard and yeah. tell people that it's yours. Do you know whose beard it was? No idea. No. 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 Can someone it's fact old... check this piece? Yeah. We got a fact checker on the beard. I think you know this what? Is, I'm, I think I'm this fact is checking a lie. it right now and I found out that uh, yeah, it's never been cleaned and you, you don't want the beard. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you don't want the beard. It's kind of like an old Santa beard from the 70s that your dad used to wear. You Gross. don't want that. That, that he smoked in because of the 70s and everyone smoked. Everyone so smoked. That's true. Every year just gets more and more yellow. That's true. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, so, you got, cool. <laughs> so you got this, you got, you got all this stuff being auctioned. So what, what, so what happens now? Do they have anything happening in Vulcan still or? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, Vulcan is still kind of a Star Trek town, obviously. Their information booth is um, an enterprise, basically. Really? Yeah. So people. So this is still. They're still uh, playing with the fact that the fact that their town the is town named is Vulcan, Vulcan. So they're still getting people. Yeah. Um, I heard that there's like still like conventions in Vulcan as well. A convention. Yeah. yeah. It's called the Vulcan. The Vulcan. Yeah. And they have the annual meeting of the Union of Red Shirts. Okay, that's just. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> do you, how do you, do you have to pay to be a red shirt, or do you get to actually? I don't just know. know. It's them? a union, so I'm guessing yeah. there's union dues there's of some union kind. Dues, exactly. Yeah. A union of red shirts. That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That was pretty so you sweet. could be part of that. And when does sure. it, when does this happen? Is this like a summer event that people can go to, or is this like a closed event? No, no. It's a con yeah. that it's you can con? go to. Right, so, uh, late July. It so is. We, so they did they have a con then, or did we mm -hmm. miss one? Yeah, no. When yeah. was the last one? July 26, 27, So I what think. was it? Who was there? Anybody we know? Was, like, Picard there? No. 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 The Gorn. The Gorn. The yes. actual guy that did the Gorn? The guy that did the Gorn. Did he wear his Gorn outfit? I'm guessing so. That would be the best con ever. <laughs> to meet the Gorn. The Gorn is the only reason why I liked Star Trek when I was a kid. It was I found it to be kind of 
lame and boring compared to the awesomeness that Star Wars was when I was growing up. So, Aww. and then I saw the Gorn and that fight and how slow yeah. he was, yet he still persevered even though he was slow moving. That was probably a heavy rubber costume. That was probably heavy and hot. That's probably yeah. why it was so slow. He was supposed to be fast, but the costume yeah slowed him down i just uh, fact check that and yep. uh, that costume has never been washed <laughs> <laughs> is that whose beard it was like as the well? santa beard yeah, yeah. The <laughs> there's like one one beard underneath the costume and uh that's kind of like i don't know i i've, I've i know some people that like to dress up in costumes and it gets hot mm. so yeah anyway but that'd be pretty guess cool. guess where else it's hot and people dress in costumes where star trek las vegas is this weekend is this weekend this no weekend way that's yes. pretty cool who's going to be there uh, lots of Star Trek people are going to be real there. quick. Yeah, we're wrapping up. <laughs> we're wrapping up. Okay, wrap it up. Uh, there's Spider. Okay, we're good. Yeah, for Spider. Yeah. Yeah. A whole bunch everyone, of other people. Everyone, yeah, all the Star Treks. All the Star Treks. Red shirts everywhere. Okay, people can check that out on the internet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's on the internet. All right, awesome. Well, that pretty much wraps up another week of uh, Punch Radio. That's about the size of where you put your eyes. That's about the size of it.